Welcome this morning to our, our church service on a Sunday morning. It's great to have you here, especially if you have not been joining us often or just recently been joining us or um, uh, for the first time this morning. We want to welcome you and thank God you're here this morning. And I pray God uh, speaks to your heart um, and speaks those things that are particularly relevant to you this morning. That's what we believe. We believe in a God who knows you much more, much more than I know you. Um, so we pray this morning that God who knows you, who created you, uh, has, has allowed this time for you to come, um, that you would be spoken to by his word this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this morning's word. Um, we are going to continue reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. And I pray this morning that it's a blessing for you. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for your spirit uh, that helps us. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, that you see far beyond the eyes of men. You see deep in our hearts, Lord God. You don't look on outward appearance. You see the heart. And this morning, I pray that you may um, take your word and speak to the areas of our lives that need most speaking to, that we may be helped, that we may be encouraged, that we may be strengthened, that we may be more like Jesus, that we may be closer to you. Lord, we need you, and without you, we cannot do this. And so we pray your blessing on us in all that is said and done. Lord, bless your word, but particularly bless the listeners this morning as they receive your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, guys, well, last week we spoke, we started to speak a little bit about um, the, the prophet Elijah, but also the widow that he went to in Zarephath. And I want to, I want to continue to look at this passage and, and just see how, uh, we can get a glimpse of God's character. You know, if we can get a glimpse of God's character, I believe, I believe our hearts are strengthened. I believe we are encouraged. If we just get a sense, if we can wipe away our, from our, our own perception, if we can clear the lens of our own uh, ideas and just see God for who he is, I, I really believe that we are encouraged and we are strengthened. Um, just imagine for a moment how many people, how many people have struggled, how many people have had pain and suffering because they see God in a different way to how God really is. And, and maybe they look at God and, and look at him through the lens of their experience growing up or through the lens of their, their parents' uh, up, uh, parenting or whatever it might be. They see God in, in, in different ways. But if we can just get a glimpse of a God, the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, and understanding for who he really is, and he, and he's, and he loves us to know him, because uh, he's a jealous God who wants us, you know, wants our love and he wants to pour out his love on us, that I believe we are really encouraged indeed. And so last week I was talking about a God who doesn't just know the ending to something because that's God. That's God's privilege to know the ending in something, but more to the point that God has the end in mind. Yeah, do you remember that? God has the end in mind. And because of that, God is working in our lives today and doing things that he needs to do so that he can bring us to the image of Christ, that he can actually allow us to be in a place where, where we are, are being transformed into the image of his son. And I pray this morning that as we, as we understand more and more that God has the end in mind, that we come to God like a child with a childlike faith, a God, a child that says, God, you said it and you do it. You know, our children in Sunday school, parents, if you think about your children, sometimes I would say, I would suggest that sometimes they would, their life would be an encouragement because they look to you as if you can do nothing wrong. Well, surely if they're asking you, surely you can do it. You know, this, this is the child, this is 
an element of the childlike faith that says, God, you are God. Not that I'm going to demand of you, God, but I know, God, you are God. And you're able to do all things that are going to be helpful to me as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. So God has the end in mind. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to remember this, but also to know that what it does require is a childlike faith, is a faith that is prepared to believe to the very end that God's working good in our lives and God's working things for good. So the story we're looking at is the story of two beautiful faiths. Yeah, two beautiful faiths. The story of Elijah, the man of God, if you like, the prophet of God, the, the voice of God, and the story of the, the widow at Zarephath, who in, in, with all, all intents and purposes was, could be considered to be more the disadvantaged or the unrecognized or the person who maybe not everyone looks to as having faith. You know? Yet I believe they are they're equal in their faith. And, and it's a beautiful story how God reaches out to restore, to heal, to help both of them. So let's read, uh, let's read um, from verses 1, uh, and we'll stop at verse 4, because I think we only read three verses last week. I'm not going to go over 1, and three, one to 3, but, but verse 4, keeping in mind that we don't want to make an assumption that faith was easier for Elijah. Yeah, Remember I was saying last week, faith, I, I don't want you to assume that oh, because Elijah is a man of God, surely his faith is going to be stronger and it's going to be easier for him to do these things. No, Elijah, I believe, Elijah was challenged and his faith was challenged and his faith was stretched. And you see it in this chapter and you see it in the chapters following this because he's got to deal with all kinds of things. He's got to deal with prophets of Baal. He's got to deal with his own insecurities. He's got to deal with Jezebel. He's, he's all these things. But God is working in Elijah and God is working in him and through him. And so let's read from verse 1 again. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, and remember Ahab was the king, yeah, doing very, very bad things, very bad things, the king of Israel, not what God wanted the kings of Israel to do. So Elijah says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the, um, which flows into the Jordan. Now, this is a, an interesting verse, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. But what I find interesting in this verse is that, God, Elijah speaks to Ahab and says, Ahab, what you're doing is really bad. What you're doing is really bad. And God has to intervene. God's going to bring about an environmental disaster. It's going to be a drought. It's going to be really hot, no rain, no dew. And God's going to do this because he needs to intervene in some way. And then he says to Elijah something interesting. Go, get out of here. <laughs> get out of from where you are and go and hide yourself, he says, Go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Why would God have Elijah hide? You can almost look at this. And if Elijah came up with this, you said, oh, you know, God told me to go and hide. What would you say to Elijah? If you met Elijah on the way to him going to the brook Cherith, what might you say to him? You know, it would be very tempting to think to yourself, oh, really, man of God, hiding, hiding. You know, the last person I remember hiding was Adam in the garden. I don't think he's doing the right thing, you know. And so we so as Christians can be very, very quick to judge what God is doing in someone's life. They can assume they know what they're doing because they're assuming based on their own perceptions and their own opinions rather than the word of God. And so they're actually filtering someone's decisions through their own experiences and they're missing the point. And rather than taking out the log from their own eye, what they're saying is, hey, what are you doing? This isn't godly. Really? Well, God told Elijah, go hide. 
And I reckon we need to be really careful as Christians that if it's not clearly spelt out in Scripture, if it's not clearly dictated or rather um, um, communicated rather in Scripture, then we need to be very careful not to point the finger. This whole COVID thing has messed with people's minds. Should we do this? Should we do that? Should I do this? Should I go there? Should I? And people have all kinds of opinions. At the end of the day, I think it's very simple. We follow the rules. As long as they're not ungodly, we follow the rules. As long as they're not making us disobey God, we're following the rules. But at the end of the day, whether it's COVID or anything else in life, in our own experiences, we don't judge Christians. We don't say to Christians, you know, we trust that God is working in their life. And so what we want to judge by is judged by love, grace, truth and the word of God. And so the word of God has to be our guide. And so Elijah was really interesting. God said to him, go, go and hide at the brook Cherith. Go. So he went. He went and did what God asked him to do. I can't judge him and say you shouldn't have gone, Elijah, because he should be bold and stand firm with Ahab. No, God was working what he needed to work. If Elijah in his heart said, Oh, God, I don't want to do this. I'm over it. I hate your word. I don't want to. And he ran and he, that's a whole different story because now there is sin in his heart. And even that God can work with, but even then we can counsel Elijah very differently. But Elijah fled. He went and he hid in the brook at the brook Cherith. Verse 4. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. I love this. We start to see now something really interesting about, about God. Because what God is saying, you know what? I'll look after you because nothing, nothing is too difficult for me. That's what God's saying to Elijah. In fact, I'll tell you how, how easy things are for me. At the blink of my eye, I can create a drought. At the blink of my eye, I can cause, I can command the ravens to feed you. And so what Elijah has to do is obey God. Elijah, is, is, his responsibility is to listen to the voice of God, to the word of God, and do what God is asking him to do. He'll obey God, and in Elijah's heart and mind, God will provide. That sounds like a fairly, fairly good relationship. God, I'll do what you want me to do, and you'll continue to provide for me the way I need to be provided for. It sounds nice. It sounds neat. The reality is it doesn't always work like that. The reality is what we think is going to happen and what God promises always God fulfills, but it may not always be the way we think it to be. God will always fulfill his promises. God will always come in and intervene where he needs to intervene, but it's not always the way we've interpreted God to be. We trust God. We trust God that when he says he'll provide, he'll provide. When he says he'll come and intervene to make us more like Christ, he will do that. When he says he will come and break the power of sin, he will do that. Now, we don't, we don't spend too much time thinking and worrying about how this is all going to happen, but we trust God that he can do it. And so God says to Elijah, you go, you hide, I'm going to cause a drought, and I'm going to command the ravens to come and feed you. Look at verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now, this is the, one of the first things I want you to think about here. The scripture talks about it like it's just an easy thing for Elijah to do. And you know what? It's quite possible. It's quite possible that Elijah thought, great, God told me to go and hide by the brook Cherith. I'm going to go and hide. But you know what? 
I've got a feeling that it actually wasn't that straightforward. I've got a feeling that Elijah wasn't just the, the it wasn't just a, a case where he got up and thought, "Yep, yeah, cool, grab my backpack, backpack, and off I go." I would I would be comfortable to suggest that Elijah also struggled to have to do what God was calling him to do because this would have been an act of faith. He had to leave where he was. There was a drought coming and then he had to trust God that he was going to go hide and be fed by ravens. This is going to be an act of faith. Now, any act of faith, in my experience, when you act in faith, in most cases, there is this kind of wrestle. God, I know what you're asking me to do, but I know I need to trust you. But it's hard sometimes. And so I don't understand why this would be any different to Elijah, that in his heart there was, would have been some kind of wrestle in his heart, not to want to disobey God, but to continue to believe that God is going to do what he promised he was going to do to him. So if you like, he's test number one for Elijah. Will he go? And he went. I think of other men in the Bible. Last week we spoke about Daniel. I think of other men in the Bible. Look at Abraham. When Abraham was, was asked to, to offer up his son, Again, I don't think Abraham thought, yes, we're going to offer up my son. Come on, son, let's go. Get the sticks and off we go. No, there would have been in Abraham's heart a wrestle, a wrestle that would have said, Lord, this is hard, Lord. This is painful, Lord. But, Lord, at your word, I'll do what you ask me to do because I have faith in you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I'm sure you have. If you're a Christian, you must have a situation where faith is calling you to do something which isn't comfortable, which is making you vulnerable, which is out of your comfort zone, but faith is calling you to do this. It's whether maybe it's an action or some kind of uh, interaction with someone and faith is calling you to do something. And even though you in your heart of hearts is this wrestle that says, God, I'm finding it hard to believe, you press on knowing that God is faithful to his word. Abraham, I believe, would have experienced the same thing. Daniel and the lions there would have experienced the same thing. These men, these men and women of faith would have experienced this wrestle to hold on. And in this, their faith is being purified. Their faith is being developed. Their faith is work. God is working in their faith, doing what he has to do in them. And through this, through this, God is being glorified. Because why? God has the end in mind. God knows what he's doing. God is working a work. Though in the moment, it's hard to see. God is working the work he needs to do. And we know, probably out of all states in Australia, we know what that experience is like in, in a real tangible way. But even in all the other areas of life, in every other area of life that we're experiencing at the moment. So Elijah went. He obeyed. He did in faith, even though he may have experienced these internal wrestles that we and I, you and I also experience. So verse 6, the ravens brought him, the ravens brought him uh, bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Uh, it's just a beautiful picture. Every day God is deepening and strengthening Elijah's faith. In a blink, he makes it, creates a drought in a blink. He's able to create the to command the ravens to, to come and feed him. Um, and he's able to drink from the brook. So the ravens bring bread and meat. Now, it's really interesting because um, people have different ideas about what these ravens are. And, and, and you can have your opinion. I'm not going to argue with your opinion what you think these ravens are. And, uh, you know, is it, are they really ravens and all that kind of thing that people might have ideas on. But for me, it's very simple. 
God's word tells me that the ravens brought food, bread and meat to Elijah. For me, God is far more capable than this. So God commands and God provides. And so he commands the ravens to bring and he brings them and he feeds Elijah with bread and meat. And Elijah drinks from the water. Now maybe bread and meat, if you want to have some kind of humorous discussion about it, what kind of bread and meat was it? You know, it was bread and meat. Was it a wrap? Was it a hamburger? Was it a souvlaki? Was it a kebab? I don't know. Bread and meat. If you want to have a humorous discussion, have it at that level. But at the end of the day, don't take away from God's word. Don't take away from God's word. It was bread and meat. And Elijah drank water because God is a God of provision and he's able to do this. And so when we doubt God and, and we, we, we no longer get a glimpse of who God is and we start to somehow um, change who God is, we're only hurting ourselves. We're only hurting ourselves because we cannot develop our own faith. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't make ourselves have faith. But rather, as we put our hand to the Lord and we trust him in his work, God is working a beautiful faith in our lives. Verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The brook dried up. So Elijah's gone through one temptation, you know, if you like, he's one test, he's, he's asked to go and hide. And now he's faced with another test. Now, yeah, sure, the birds are bringing bread and meat, but now the water has dried up. A second wave? The same temptation coming back again? The same experience you didn't want happening again? When was the last time that you remember that you've been through one test perhaps, you hoped it was over, only to find that the same test comes up again, the same issues come up again, hoping that you thought it was done and dusted? And here Elijah, or you've just you've wrestled with one and you felt like you know you needed a break and then another one has come up. Whatever the situation is, what God is doing, God is working a faith in you. God is working a faith in me. God isn't, God isn't working something to destroy. God is working something to build. And what we do is put a childlike faith in the hands of the Lord. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. You know, humanly, this could almost be, um, this could almost be looked at as being really odd thing for God to do from a human perspective. Elijah, the water, the brook has dried up. Now I want you to get up and I want you to go from the brook Cherith and I want you to go all the way to Zarephath because I've got a widow, I've got a widow that's going to provide for you. What is God doing? What is God trying to suggest to, to Elijah? Can't God, the God who gave the birds to feed him uh, bread and meat, can't the same God have the birds bring him water? Like the, the, the issue isn't what God can or can't do. This isn't the issue here because God at a blink can do these things. The issue is he's wanting to develop the faith of Elijah and the faith of this woman. 
God is concerned with the faith of his people. God isn't concerned of the disasters that's going on around. He's concerned, of course, for the pain it's, it's causing. But what he's doing, he's, he's working a faith in Elijah and he's working a faith in this woman. Because he could have easily said to the birds, hey, go and give him water as well. For sure this could have happened. But he needed to do something. And he decided, he decided that he was going to send Elijah all the way to Zarephath. Now, that's amazing because there, all that distance, it was something like 130 kilometers from Cherith to Zarephath, 130 kilometers. Now, consider for a moment, why would God send a man of God all this way to a woman at Zarephath unless he had in his heart a deep love for this woman and he wanted her somehow, her faith to be enriched and nourished by God? Is that, is that not love? Is that not love that God would leave the 99 to go search for the one? Why not send Elijah back to Israel? Why not send him back to his homeland to a widow? But he sends one out to someone who's not even a Jewish woman. He sends her out. And in those days, there would have been considered to be like an outcast to the faith. But he has Elijah walk 130 kilometers or so to get to Zarephath. Now listen, there is still a drought. There is still heat. It is still hot. And can you imagine every step that Elijah's taking from Cherith to Zarephath, every step is an anguish maybe step and it's hard and it's hot and it's difficult, but every step is perfecting his faith. Every step he's trusting God. Every step he's doing the will of God. And I believe what God is doing is perfecting his faith. Now imagine for a moment what is also happening here. Every step he's getting closer and closer to reaching out to the soul of this woman. God is going to go to all lengths to reach you. This is the love of God. That he would send a man all this distance to reach one widow who is not even a Jewish widow. Because God's demonstrating something here, that his love for us is far greater than we can ever fathom. That his love for us, the breadth and the width and the depth and the height of God's love is far greater than we can ever imagine. That he would do this, that he would go to such lengths for one person. Thank God he did that because he never would have saved me. He never would have saved me if he looked for things convenient as we look for love in that way. You know, if the person loves me back, I love them. If the person's kind for me, I'll be kind to them. If the person treats me well, I'll treat them well. That's human love. But to love someone who spat in your face, who mistreated you, who hurt you, to love someone like that is the love of God. This is the love of God, brothers and sisters. Don't water it down. Don't take away the truth. If you can't do this, then the love of God is not perfected in you. And this is where God's love is so great that he would send Elijah all the way to Zarephath in the heat, perfecting his faith. Doesn't the psalmist say this? The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Because God's in the business of perfecting our faith. We say, Lord, I surrender. There's nothing else I can do but surrender. And in doing this, God takes us along the path of perfecting our faith. We may not always understand, 
and we may not always have the end in mind, but he does. So when the devil comes today and whispers and says, this is all getting too hard, it's all too difficult. When is this journey going to end? You're only five kilometers into the 130. It's hot. The heat is making me sweat. It's, it's difficult. Remember that God, the psalmist says, Lord, you will perfect that which concerns me. This is the faith, the childlike faith of the children of God. If you look at the next verse, verse 9, uh, sorry, verse 10. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Wow. Who's the greater one here? Who's got the greater faith here? He gets there after kilometers of walking. I imagine he's parched, he's thirsty. You know, when you're really thirsty, you just want to gollop liters of water down. He sees what he, what he would believe to be the widow God's talking about. He says, can you give me just a cup of water? Who's got the greater faith here? Elijah, who has to humble himself and ask for a cup of water, cup of water trusting that what God told him way before was going to come to pass. Or this widow who thought, who's this man coming and asking you for a cup of water? See, God never intends to hurt and damage the souls of men and women. Remember, God's plan was always to care for the widow. God always had a heart for the widow. God always had a heart for the disadvantaged, if you like. God always had a heart for those who found it hard and struggled and maybe others considered and looked at them in a bad way. God always, whether they were, they were disadvantaged in some way and they struggled, God always had a heart for them. Listen to, listen to some of these scriptures that the Bible says. Exodus 22 says, You shall not afflict any widow and fatherless child because God's heart goes out to them. So he tells his people, don't afflict them. And Elijah says, give me a cup of water. Elijah would have known the scriptures. Look at another scripture. Psalm 68 says, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. Because God's heart is to defend them. And God was prepared to send Elijah kilometers in the heat so he can defend the widow. Praise the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I see myself as the widow. I am the one who is disadvantaged, incapable, one who is struggling to do anything that is of perhaps seen of any worth by anyone. But God sees and God defends. This is the love of God. He calls the outcast to repentance and repentance and faith because a man of God comes. Uh, so the, the, the God calls them to be men of God, women of God, that they be men and women of faith. Look at um, look at and then and, and and then Isaiah one says God plead he asks his people to plead plead for the widow. Beautiful and that, they're just a few, but but it's not just an Old Testament thing. Even in the New Testament, God is talking the same thing. In Mark chapter twelve, he rebukes them because he says, "Who devour widows' houses?" He rebukes them because what they're doing, they're mistreating the widows. And he says, they receive greater condemnation, uh, Mark 12. 
And then, of course, James says the same thing. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, and that is to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. And I just love the heart of God because his heart is a heart of love and a heart of restoration. And he cares for those who are struggling in life. And so should the church. And so should the church. And if our hearts cannot be moved with compassion and care and love and restoration for those perhaps that we know that are doing it really hard, then the love of God is not perfected in us. Elijah went to, went to her and he asks for a cup of water. <laughs> you know, this would have, wouldn't have necessarily been straightforward. So what, did, what, did he have the greater faith by asking or did she have the greater faith by receiving uh, in this? Look at verse, uh, verse 11. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hands. Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hands. Again, what's going on here? He's asked for some water. And as she goes, because she's probably wanting to be respectful, as she goes, he says, hang on, hang on. Can you also bring me some bread? Was he overstepping the mark? Was he taking it too far now? Or was he, again, having to act in faith? God's word had said to him, this widow is going to provide for you. And so even if in his heart he thought, I can't do this to her. This poor widow, it looks like she's got nothing in his heart. He needs to obey the word of God. And he says, and this is why I believe this would have been a challenge for him as well. He would have said, hang on, can you also please bring me some bread? Hard for him. And I imagine hard for her to hear it. Because she hardly had anything left. The story of two beautiful faiths. Because God has the end in mind. But listen, they did not have the privilege of knowing the end then. They needed to act in faith. They needed to act believing. They needed to act knowing that God was sovereign. Verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little bit of oil in a jar and see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and that we may die. She was at the end of herself. There was nothing else she could do. That's all she had. A little bit of flour a little bit of oil, and she was preparing her last meal. I don't think perhaps in this country or in this state, I don't perhaps think we could ever understand that experience. Maybe, maybe some of us have, and, and forgive me if you have. But this is a situation where she's actually at a point where she has literally nothing left. And she's preparing her very last meal. Can you imagine, listen, could you imagine if the distance from Cherith to Zarephath was 200 kilometers? God is perfect. God is perfect. 
And God will move and do things according to his perfect will. Do you remember why maybe it was odd that when he heard, Jesus heard that his friends, Lazarus was dying or was, was not well, and he waited. Or when he was dead, sorry, he waited. And then he went three days later. God works and moves according to his time. And here this man of God meets a widow at her very last point in life, if you like, the end of herself. How we must come. Where we are, if you like, stripped of everything we think we can do for ourselves to build faith. But God builds the faith. Maybe what we've experienced is this. <laughs> we open the pantry and we've got all this food there and we say, oh, we've run out of food because it's not the food we're looking for. Or we open up the fridge and we haven't done a, a shop for a week and a half or something. We open up the fridge and just little bits and pieces and we go, oh, no, we haven't got food. But it's not full like we'd like it to be. Maybe that's as close as we can understand it. But God is working. God is working. It's like during COVID when there was uh, right at the start where people were panic buying. And, and so, so what happened, they went and the shops became empty because people went into a panic. You know, I think the reason why people go into a panic is not because they're scared of not having. If you really look at it, I don't think people go and panic buy because they're scared about not having. I think panic, people panic by is because they're scared of not being in control or not knowing what's going to happen. I think that's the deeper fear. When you don't know what's going to happen in two months and, and you feel like you're not in control because, you know what, I've got to have that toilet paper. Because what happens if I go to the toilet and there's no toilet paper? Then you become then you panic. And it's not so much not having it, but not being able to be in control and know what's going to happen. But when you know that God has the end in mind, you rest. You go shop, you do what you've got to do, you go buy according to the rules, you do what you have to do, but you rest. You rest in knowing God has the end in mind, that God is a God of provision. This woman now, God asked her, Go, um, Elijah asked her, go and also give me some meat, uh, some food to eat. If you like, I think, a real test of faith. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, oh, sorry, and she tells him, I've only got this much left. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward, make some for yourself and your son. I don't know, but, you know, if someone comes to your house and he's a guest and imposes these kind of uh, 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 um, requests on you, you know, it'd be very, it would be understanding if someone said to you, you know, it was really frustrating, you know, uh, because, because, because they came into my house unexpectedly and then they wanted me to cook for them before, they cook, before I cook for me and, and, and I've got hardly anything left and, but he's doing the will of God. He's in the will of God, walking by faith, just as much as she would have to walk by faith as well. And so he says, you know, go do what you've got to do, but before you make something for you and your son, make something for me. 
a real test of faith. And I love this because what God is doing is he's, he's um, uh, bringing faith to all people, Jew and Gentile, from all backgrounds. Is there a background? Is there a people? Is there a nation, a tongue, a language that cannot have faith? Not at all. Even when Jesus was speaking to the Gentile woman and she was, I think, being pushed away by the disciples or by some people and she came to Jesus and Jesus uh, said something like, well, I can't give um, um, the bread to the dogs. And she says, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. The Gentile woman who said that as well. To the Gentile woman, Jesus said, oh, woman, great is your faith. Because people of all backgrounds are called to this faith it doesn't make it god doesn't make it special for some people do not look to people and think oh i can't have faith like them because they are so and so god doesn't call certain people to have faith the faith he wants and to others not god calls all men and women to this faith and he's using if you like He's using this situation to build the faith of the woman as well. Look at verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. What a beautiful picture of provision. God is asking this woman, Elijah is asking this woman, do what you've got to do because you are never going to run out of flour and you're never going to run out of oil until the Lord sends rain on this earth. It's very, very powerful picture. In fact, in fact, what God is doing here, he's being very, very specific and he's, and he's demonstrating his sufficiency. He's saying, you know, I'll tell you how specific I'm going to be. You keep using your flour and, and flour is going to keep going. But you've got to use your flour because faith is an ongoing thing. If you say to yourself one day, no, I better not use it today because, you know, there's still no rain. No, keep using the flour. Keep practicing your faith. Keep practicing your faith. Keep using the oil. Keep practicing the oil. Keep using your faith. Because the more you do that, your faith is being deepened. And God's provision is very specific that if you do that, I'll keep providing for that. Until the rain comes. God is specific and he's sufficient for what we need. And he uses a physical means to develop our faith. This is not unlike Jesus. Jesus used many physical means to develop the faith of his people. He used wine at the wedding to develop the faith of his disciples. He used a fish that Peter couldn't catch to develop the faith of Peter. He used um, uh, the waves uh, to, to challenge the faith of his disciples. And so he uses many physical means to develop our faith. Why would it be any different today? But she's asked, keep using the oil. Keep using the flour. Don't get to a point where you're scared to do what God's calling you to do because you think you're not going to be able to make it to the end. God is always going to provide for his people. Our God is sufficient. He has the end in mind. And then the last two verses. So she went away. She did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Now, you might have seen a little bit of a twist in this verse. She went and did. She obeyed. She acted in faith. Elijah is blessed by 
she is blessed by it. Her son is blessed by it. And now we have this little twist. Her household is blessed by it. Which probably suggests that she had people around her, maybe not in the same house, but people around her, maybe relatives who were doing it tough as well, maybe relatives who were also experiencing poverty at this time, who God not only was able to bless her and her son and Elijah, but begin to bless others in her life. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the seed, the mustard seed, the tree. But Jesus said this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took. Now remember the mustard seed is very, very small. This woman's faith, small, just needed to be small. And he sowed it into his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nests in its branches. Now it's able to help and bless many people. Her faith. Blessed her, Elijah, her son, and her household. In fact, you know what's interesting about this parable? If you're just interested in little sort of Bible things, straight after that parable, straight after that parable, Jesus says this, and he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, there may not be any connection, but it's interesting that Jesus speaks about this tree and then he talks about a woman with flour. She was able to bless others. She was able to bless others. You know what I see here? This is way before Jesus even taught on the sparrow. Remember Jesus teaching on the sparrow? That he cares for the sparrow, he's going to care for you. This is way before Jesus is teaching on the sparrow. Because I believe this woman had the spirit of the New Testament saints. She had the heart, the faith that said, God is able to provide. The Old Testament and New Testament, sure, different outward works and expectations of the same faith. And this woman is a beautiful demonstration of the faith of the two. She, and she would have known that God is very generous. Or she came to understand and believe that God is very generous. Because we know God is. God continues to provide over and above. He feeds the birds. That's because he's a very generous God. And if we can do it humanly, how much more God himself? My, I had a beautiful experience of the day where I went to um, my, um, I was at my mum's house and she was telling me a story of um, my grandmother, her mum. I want to tell you this story. When my grandmother was alive, she would take the, the bread, the Lebanese bread, and when it was probably getting a little bit stale, she'd feed it to the birds. Now, that sounds like a nice thing to do. I'm sure lots of you do the same thing. You, 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 know, you, want, to, you want to feed the birds because maybe your bread's stale or you go to the ducks and you, feed, you give your bread to the ducks because the bread's maybe stale. But what's fascinating about this story, what I was particularly fascinated about was not so much the fact that she may have wanted to get rid of her bread, but her care for the birds. She cared for the birds. Because as my mum told me, you know, my mum would have said, just give them the bread. But my grandmother used to sit there. Now, her hands weren't necessarily, the, the, you know, as you get older, your hands were the, the, um, the ability to do fine things. It gets harder. But she sit there and she break the bread into little, little pieces. Like my, my, my mother explained it as if you consider a five, if you, if you imagine a five cent piece, 
broken into four. So a quarter of a five cent piece, she'd, she'd sit there, she'd sit there, she'd sit there, picking, picking, picking. And then my mother asked, what are you doing? And she says, I've got to do this for the birds because in case they choke. Her care, not just to feed the birds, but to make sure they're going to be okay when they eat the bread. This care, this is, this is imagine humanly, we're, we're capable of this love and this care. Imagine how much more the love of the Father who gives, not only to give, but gives according to what we need. Our God, is, his, his love is beyond our imagination. This woman continued to have what she needed until the rain came if you like, until her faith was completed. And then finally, verse 16. So the bit of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord. Yep, childlike faith. According to the word of the Lord. God, you said it, you will do it which he spoke by Elijah. All along, from the time that God called Elijah out to go and hide by the brook Cherith, and then called him out to walk kilometres to Zarephath, to intervene to this lonely widow. All along, God had the end in mind. All along, he was working what he needed to work with the environment, with the birds, with the men, with the woman. All along, he's working with them because he must have, he must have brought them to that end. God must bring us to that end. And God had the end in mind. And what he called them to is the same as what he calls us to, is the faith of a child. It says, Lord, I believe. I believe, Lord. And if we can go away from this morning with the same kind of faith, not with our eyes on the drought, not with our eyes on the brook drying up, not with our eyes on the few little sticks that we have left or the bit of flour and oil that we've got left, but on the God who provides, on the God who's perfecting this faith in us, who's developing and doing a work in us. This is where our rest and our power comes from. Let me pray for us this morning. As we come before the Lord and ask the Lord to continue to work this beautiful faith in all our lives. It's a faith that God has called us all to have. No one's more special than another. He's called his body to this faith. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for the story of these two beautiful faiths very different backgrounds, very different experiences, Lord. Almost humanly, Father, impossible for these two to meet. A bit like the church, Lord. A bit like the body of Christ. And yet, coming to the same faith. I thank you, Lord God, that you've called your people all the way from, from, from um, Adam, Lord, and Eve, all the way through to Revelation. You call your people to faith. And I thank you for this. Father, keep working in our faith that we may continue to believe that you have the end in mind, that you never stop working, 
and that you'll perfect that which concerns us. So Father, we come before you. We come before you trusting and we come before you surrendering. And we come before you in Jesus' name. Amen.